Asset Radio. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keel Guard Studios. Aaron, welcome back. Great to get you on the line again, or maybe you got me on the line. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I think you're uh, sitting somewhere in a parking lot somewhere, Kurt. So That is correct. I'm in a parking lot podcasting right here with Bass Edge Radio. Dude, rocking on this May 1st episode, man. I'm excited for the show we've got to provide Bass Edge Nation on this day. Absolutely. And as always, Bass Edge Radio presented by MegaWare Keel Guard. First do-it-yourself keel protector, the battery guards, right? Uh, talked to Dave not too long ago and said that the battery guards are just doing phenomenal. Flex Step, so many products that can all be found on keelguard.com. And of course, now, Kurt, you know, I, I've got to say I'm a little biased on this, but uh, certainly another skew added to their great lineup of products, and that is the Bass Edge Apparel. Yes, got my uh, shirts in, my hat, actually uh, sporting my hat right now. Uh, we post a few images of those out there on the social media. And uh, last episode, we talked about doing the giveaway. We have not yet really solidified that due to some logistical things that were going on, but uh, we will have that solidified in this month of May. So be sure you check out the Bass Edge social media, the Instagram, Facebook. You'll see the um, apparel out there. And, uh, of course, go to the website. Also, that's right. That's right. And, you know, not making excuses, but it has been somewhat of a busy month, last 30 days, lots of events going on. You know, of course, uh, a lot going on with the Tackle Warehouse Pro Series that you've been a part of and uh, a couple guests that we've had on recently doing very, very well there. And and then, of course, we've got the uh, Lake Fork. And I think your streak continues Kurt, people that we have on continue to do well. It does. We're going to have to get uh, Lee Livesey on there. I mean, Guy put an actual show on for uh, the Bassmaster Elite Series over there at Lake Fork. What a phenomenal day. I think it's the third largest bag in history in the Bassmaster Elite Series. He had uh, a little over 42 pounds. Terry Scroggins has still the second largest five bass limit in Bassmaster history. And Dean Rojas with 45 and change still retains the largest bag in Bassmaster Elite Series history. You you know it's going to be a good day, Kurt, when Lee pulls up and his first cast is, I think, right at nine pounds. And and, and (laughs) throwing a, a tennis shoe for a topwater bait. That was really neat to see how he pulled all that together. It was. It was really neat to see how the whole event kind of morphed as the uh, tournament progressed. You know, really kind of started out as a as a sight fishing. You know, that's what a lot of the anglers were talking about in practice. But, um, you know, kind of turned into more of a shad spawn deal. Really saw Brandon Card take advantage, had a lead after day two and day three. And then Livesey just on the juice, what appeared to be be for some monster bass and utilizing that top water for fish chasing those big thread fin gizzard shad those types of things so uh man big shout out to that great event as you mentioned matt becker bass edge interviewer before we had him here as a featured angler on our lucas oil angler spotlight so it was great to see him get the w with kind of the early season blue back spawn uh one of the few guys that was kind of on that bite obviously me being there and having a tough event we're gonna dive into that here 
here in a little bit. Then we had, what, uh, Cody Huff, former Bass Edge uh, angler that we featured. He had a top 10, I think, and then Angler of the Year, right? Cole, Cole Floyd. Floyd, that's right, yep. Still retained that Angler of the Year, just, just slightly over Anthony Gagliardi. But yeah, man, it was a huge week. And cannot not mention the NPFL went on last week and angler that actually won a Bassmaster Open earlier this year and just tournament bass fishing all over the place, Aaron. It's crazy. Yeah. And and we haven't even gotten to your top five in the BFL yet. Congratulations, my man. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll carve out a little bit of time for that. We today. will. Well, let's do that. Let's let's take a quick break. Let's go into the protecttheharvest.com tackle tip always great tips provided by past featured guests and let's swing into that air and then we're going to come back talk about the top five bfl maybe a few lessons learned for myself from lake murray and man we got a great show in store y'all stay tuned this episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with mlf big five pro circuit angler kyle cortiana Hey guys, Kyle Cordiana here, MLF Pro Circuit Angler. Listen, this is going to be your tackle tip for May 2021. Shad spawn is something you got to be looking for right now. And I got two go-to baits when the shad are spawning, whether it be around docks or up around shallow bushes. If it's around docks, I'm typically going to be throwing a spinner bait. But here's the little tip. The Jawtech Punch Shad can be used as a great trailer on your spinner bait. It gives those fish a little bit different look. The Jawtech Punch Shad, it's not round like your typical swim bait. It's kind of like if you stepped on it and squashed it. So it's got a different kind of keeling system and makes the bait wiggle a little bit different. And so if you're going to throw a spinner bait around them docks, tip it with that. If all of a sudden you want to get shallow in them bushes or even throw it around the docks too with a buzz bait, the Jawtech Punch Shad is not as soft of a plastic as your standard boot tail swim baits. It was literally designed to punch through mats. So if you tip that on your buzz bait and you throw it around a bunch of bushes, trust in the fact it will not tear, it won't slide down your bait, you will make several more casts because you have that punch set on as a trailer as opposed to a softer plastic bait, and you'll be able to just rip it through them bushes and just keep casting. Awesome tip, Kyle. Brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, we talked in that opening episode about all the fishing going on here over the last... uh, week and a half or two weeks and and nonetheless you know 
no better way to express the Bass Edge Nation but based on our personal experience and mentioned your top five at the BFL on Table Rock Lake. And I got to hear the deets, brother. Let us know kind of what the pattern was, how things boiled down for you, and uh, what was working on Table Rock there a couple weeks ago at the Bass Fishing League event where you solidified the Aaron Martin bass edge edge <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so to kind of set the stage i mean it's it's no secret for long-term listeners that uh people know that if i have a chance to uh to get in the check line it's generally going to be in the spring on table rock but you know kurt we just came off the first full moon right there the latter part of march first part of april so kind of in between it was definitely setting up to where it could be a sight fishing uh, tournament right. which you know there was definitely a lot of guys that were catching off of beds i am not as proficient at that even even though I like to do it. So, you know, my uh, approach has always been, I, I believe the, I, I'm going for pre-spawn fish that are staging, hanging out table rock specifically on trees. And so had a, had a decent practice. You know, I was able to uh, hook up with uh, a big fish each day, kind of staying uh, and, and just running a, a pattern of, of trees. And, and what I found was, Kurt, that a lot of the bait was holding kind of in that 21 to 22 feet range, meaning that that was the depth of the water. It doesn't mean that the, right. the bait was all the way on the bottom. So uh, most of the trees that I was actually fishing, were, the better trees were producing, I could not see the tops of them. So I could catch some out of, of the cedar trees that you could actually see sticking up, but uh, I, I predominantly just focused on that, did focus around points. Uh, that was a big thing of secondary points that were leading into those those spawning pockets because I was believing that the the fish were coming in, the bigger fish would come in, um, you know, check, feed, whatever, and then go right back out until the conditions were right. So uh, bait of choice was a swim bait. And uh, I kind of toggled back and forth between a 3.8, 4.8 Kitek, then also threw a fluke a little bit, if you can believe that. And um, really, you know, we've talked about it so many times. I'm, I'm almost kind of sick of, of mentioning it, but I, I've got to say that that forward-facing sonar I used the Garmin. And normally, Kurt, I would have to go upright. Table Rock is a flood control lake. So those trees, when they are submerged like that, there's only kind of one way to know back in the day of, of how much water was actually over the trees, specific trees that I was fishing. And that was to actually get close or use, you know, side imaging. Well, now because of the real-time forward-facing sonar, yeah. you know, I was able to shoot those and I could see tell how much water depth was on them, see if there was any bait, see if there was any fish. And this was the first tournament that I personally really capitalized on that because I could see my bait coming through the trees. I could see the fish respond, react to those. But um, yeah, so I had uh, four fish fairly early. And then at 1240 on Sunday, decided to make about a 40 mile run through some pretty rough conditions. We had a pretty serious north wind coming in and uh, went up to another group and was able to uh, not only finish out my limit, but cull a few times. Most of my fish were making very, very long cast so i had a lot of line out the one fish i did lose which would have helped me a little bit was one that i'd caught uh, deeper kind of closer to the boat put a little too much pressure on her and she jumped uh, right in front of the boat right in front of my trolling motor came straight up like somebody shot her out of a cannon and threw the bait <laughs> so uh anyway long story short just a, a fantastic you know fun tournament had just a blast had a mixed bag two large mouth two small mouth and a spotted bass and everything on well table has to be you know 15 inches so right 
um, yeah, it, it, nothing too over the top, just kind of simple. Just put a little chartreuse on the tail of the uh, the swim bait, and that seemed to work very well. Well, the deal right there, you know, right out of the top, Aaron, going with what you've got confidence in, you know, not worrying about what other anglers are doing or, or how they're attacking or maybe even, you know, that dock talk to get in your head, and uh, you went and did what your strength was. I've got a quick question about your pattern. Did you find that those fish were relating to the bottom, like the base of those cedar trees? Are they suspended? And and how did you decide how to fish that? What what was productive for you in that pre-spawn bite? Yeah, so I firmly believe that just by looking on my graph that most of my fish were not on the bottom. However, I do believe they were coming up because they were knocking. When they would hit, I wouldn't get a lot of bites, but when they would, they would literally, especially the smallmouth and the spots, they would knock two, three foot of slack in your line. It was just a, an explosive bite. And the other thing is too, this is something that, you know, when I lived on Table Rock, I worked on this for two to three years, just trying to figure out that was back in right. Our, our Bass Edge TV right. taping days and oh, being six, at, seven, yeah, eight. Yeah. That's right. Yep. And, uh, trying to figure out, okay, how can I bring a swim bait to the white river impoundments? You know, just being able to live down there, going out with one, one rod and just saying, okay, I'm going to, to figure out how to do this. But back to your original question, the bait was, like I said, it was kind of, uh, in that middle water column in that 21, 22 foot range. I would say, but my last fish that I caught later in the day, actually that one that I just described that I'd lost, my boat sure. was setting in 46 feet of water and those trees topped out about 15 feet below the water surface. And I was just basically, you know, catching them uh, suspended in those, those tops of those trees. One I did catch Kurt was a, that I ended up calling was a post spawn. She had already spawned out and uh, it was a spotted gotcha. bass. Um, so, you know, those are areas that they come right back to coming and going. Yeah. Yeah. That was similar, I think, to what uh, Matt Becker did really well there at Lake Murray. You know, he had these fish, you know, kind of dialed in on on these long uh, extended points there at Lake Murray. And he had pre-spawners and post-spawners both utilizing, although there was some of the blueback spawn going on as well. But I think more it was that transition zone where he would have fish going into pockets and moving out of pockets through that pre-spawn and post-spawn transition. So totally different impoundments, but some similarities there in that style of pattern. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, a guy doesn't need to go or an angler doesn't need to go sight fish or if that's not their strength, there's there's something out there that they can figure out that leans to their strengths and confidence to be successful. So uh, that's a great story, man. I appreciate it. Dude, again, congratulations. You know, you get 200 plus anglers out there and then you got 200 plus co-anglers out there dude congratulations great finish it was awesome to see the uh this stuff on social media and uh that big smile because i i know that aaron martin uh, works hard at what he does whether it's on the water or off the water and when you see the benefits being reaped it's a lot of fun to watch so very rewarding and uh you know you have a story to share with us as well kurt and uh concerning lake murray and i think you know in our in our pre-discussion leading up to the interview you had mentioned uh lessons learned and i think that's that's a, a good topic to kind of run with and i would like to hear kind of your thoughts and your experience yeah quickly um lake murray uh, i was excited to go to sight fish that's really what i wanted to do it's something that i have fun doing and i've had some really decent tournament success in full-fledged sight fishing events and and with the later spring and everything that had been going on i really felt like that was going to lean to me so 
perfect game plan was to focus on sight fishing down lake where some of those later spawners would be coming up because down lake deeper water specifically on murray clear water takes a little bit more time to warm in the spring so i'm figuring that's where you know those fish are going to spawn the last and you know in my two days of practice i concentrated one practice day down lake started seeing some betters and looking and got a few of them to bite and shake them off and um, feeling decent about it you know through 11 12 o'clock that day and then really just stopped seeing them down there so i had maybe eight or ten fish marked and then just kind of stop seeing what was happening, you know, in my predetermined pattern, hopeful, you know, that I'm looking for down there. And um, anyway, second day of practice, I fish mid-lake, really start seeing a lot more betting activity mid-lake, which kind of surprised me because, again, my thought process was that those fish would be coming up later on the lower half of the lake. And long story short, the ticket in this tournament was to fish mid-lake and up the river for fish that had already completed most of the spawn process. Or, as I mentioned, Matt Becker catching some fish going in and out where there was a few fish still left to spawn in that mid-lake area. And I don't really know, Aaron. Sometimes you just can't put your finger on it why that down lake process, thought process, just wasn't working for me. Um, It could have been we were between moons. There was a couple of those fish that had left during the tournament that I didn't find. A few fish, and I hate admitting this, but there was two or three fish i just flat out couldn't get them to bite and uh that happens sometimes uh but um overall man it was it was a tough disappointing event for me and this is how wild tournament bass fishing is we've had six days or i've had six days of competitive fishing this year two at okeechobee two at smith lake and two at lake murray and i've had three fair days you know decent tournament days as far as weight uh in comparison to the field and then i've had three poor days in weight as comparison to the field and so i am down in the standings right now so uh i'm excited to uh get to lake eufaula put that stuff behind me we're gonna be there uh in about a week and a half i'll I'll be leaving uh on the 8th of may so i got basically a a week and a day or two to get ready and then um you know that that event's going to be here before i know it so i'm looking forward to it to get off the schneid and turn this thing back around but uh lake murray definitely a lot of lessons learned and um that's that's all we can do is put those in the memory bank and push forward to excel at the next event so absolutely all right aaron look we are again got a a great guest a returning guest a new elite series champion we're going to talk to this angler coming up just in a half a second we're going to get him on the line in our lucas oil angler spotlight y'all stay tuned we'll be right back Bradley Harmon here with Aaron and Kurt. This is Elite Series Pro, Greg DePama. This is MLF BBT Pro Angler, Justin Lucas. This is Ron Nelson, FLW Pro. This is BPT MLS Pro, Brian Thrift. This is Elite Series Pro, Buddy Gross. Bass Edge will return in just a moment. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. 
developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Aaron, as I mentioned in the earlier segment, we are rolling with another great Lucas Oil featured angler in this episode. Longtime veteran of the BASS Elite Series. Uh, been on the show before. So I'm throwing out some little tidbits right here. Recently crowned Elite Series champion. Look forward to catching up on his post-spawn tactics, how he works pattern progression to catch fish, and maybe bass fishing's toughest seasonal behavior cycle. Welcome back to the show, BASS Elite Series Pro, Bill Lowen. Appreciate you coming back, Bill. Morning, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. That was a hell of an intro, right? You like that? Oh, amazing, man. You get better and better. <laughs> After 351 episodes, we better be dang good, right? Uh, right? You better be. You better be doing something right. That's right. Well, well, Bill, as as Kurt mentioned, always uh, always great to be hanging with you. And, and I know you're coming off of a, uh, a Lake Fork, maybe not what you would quite put up there as, as, as where you would like to finish. I'd like for you to talk on that briefly, but more importantly, huge congrats on just knocking down that elite series win on, on Lake Pickwick back in March. You know, it was awesome to kind of see you in the winner circle. And, uh, I, I especially, you know, appreciated the, those were some great shots of, of your family celebrating that win with you. And, you know, kind of curious to know what the aftermath has been like. And, and also curious if, if Jennifer, if your wife, Jennifer is screaming louder now, you know, when you hit the weigh-in stage. <laughs> She's screaming louder at me now. Cause she said, I better catch him at every event now. <laughs> um, you know, but you know what that was. Wait, wait, oh, let, let's I, just quantify I, that, right? <laughs> Bill no, no, you know what? Every event, almost every. <laughs> That's why they call um, it the Dollar Bill Lowen, right? Yeah, there you go. It was uh, truly an amazing week. Um, you know, I mean, they always say when when you're going to win, you can't do nothing wrong, and it was definitely a uh, week of that. You know, it was truly a, a, a scenario of fishing in your comfort zone and fishing the way you love to fish. And when you do that, you fish freely and you fish the best that you're going to be um, on the water. And that's just what happened, you know. And since then, um, I knew it'd be crazy if when or, you know, whenever we won an event. But, man, I had no idea that, how do I say this, the, the responsibilities that come with that. You know, it truly opened my eyes to how many true fans I had watching me and, supporters and things like that and just i was overwhelmed with that and then you know the sponsorship stuff and the media stuff that come with that it was a non-stop week and a half from the time you got up to the time you went to bed it was uh basic media stuff and uh look i'm not complaining i'd love to do it all over again but i truly had no idea that it was going to be as crazy as it was but um like i said i'll take it again whenever they want to give it to me <laughs> that's so cool man like Aaron mentioned, it was great to see those shots of the family up there on stage. They've been with you through everything. Every time I've seen you on the road, every time I, I talk to you, you know, it seems like you guys are always together. And uh, seeing those shots, uh, as Aaron mentioned, on stage, it was fun to watch. So uh, congratulations. Well, I think everybody forgets. I don't want to say they forget, but your, your family or your support crew that's behind the scenes, um, being your family, is 
something that doesn't get talked about a lot. And if you don't have that behind you, man, it's hard to focus on what you have to do out there on the water. I'm just going to say, if you got squirrels running around in your head, um, it's hard to concentrate out there on the water, you know. And like you said, Jennifer and the kids have been with me from day one. The kids know nothing different. You know, Fisher was on the airplane at two weeks old, flying to the Bassmaster yeah. Classic. I mean, they know that this is their lifestyle. Everything we do revolves around the outdoors. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, if they weren't with me on the road, I don't know if I could do it because I sure wouldn't want to get that phone call of, hey, when, when are you coming home, Dad? You know, um, and for them to be here with me all the time and regardless if Dad catches them or not, when I hit the dock, um, they don't really care. You know what I mean? All they know is that Dad's home and life is good. So, like I said, I think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough because my wife, Jennifer, she does things behind the scenes that, I just couldn't handle it all. And, uh, you know, she homeschools the kids and um, there's just an endless list of things that she does. And I don't think that the bass wives get um, enough credit for sure. Yeah. So happy you mentioned that. And, and that's why, you know, we mentioned how, how awesome it was to see the, the family shot up there and how they were just as elated as, as the winner. That, you know they won. Oh too, yeah, so it's, <laughs> it was, it's uh, a win. It's a win. It's a win yes. for everybody. That's right. It's great to see. Well, Bill, we're gonna dive into some seasonal behavior pattern topics of post-spawn bass. Man, a lot of people struggle through the time of year when you know may, maybe there's a few late spawners, but most everything is post-spawn. Where do the fish go? What are they doing? You know, the last time you were on the show, we talked about your shallow water expertise. So let's talk about that some more, but specifically with some of these post-spawn scenarios that anglers encounter throughout, you know, kind of May and um, e- even into June, the farther you get up north, you know, that May-June time frame before things really start right. to pop. Um, we saw some of that at Lake Fork where, you know, there were some anglers that got on some of that post-spawn bite and and some of those fish feeding up after the spawn but still a lot of spawners on the bank but it gets tougher as it goes on what kind of cover are you looking for in shallow water to get the bites during the post-spawn cycle all right well you know like like you said i'm i'm predominantly known as that shallow water guy and i'm gonna stay shallow as long as i can if i don't have to ever go offshore i'd be fine with that you know and i think a lot of people think that as soon as the spawn's done you know just because we've always pounded this in the angler's head is that every fish in the lake goes offshore and um, that's where they spend the rest of the year but as you know um, i've made a career out of staying shallow in the mud all year long from start to finish and you know what i'm looking for right after the spawn um and I'm going to, I'm just kind of truly going to talk whenever there's no more fish spawning. Cause you know what I mean? Cause sure. we don't want to kind of get wrapped up in all that. So what I'm looking for, what I'm considering the post spawn is I'm looking for what's going to keep those big fish up there, you know, cause we need big female bites. We need um, to try to catch those fish, you know, and there's two things in me at this time of the year or that time of the year that's going to keep those fish up there. And that's going to be the shad spawn and the brim spawn or the bluegill spawn. Those are going to be your two biggest things. Um, that keep those fish up there you know them shad are going to spawn early in the morning low light conditions so this doesn't isn't something that lasts typically all day um it'll last a little longer when we get some cloud cover or maybe some rain but typically it's an early morning deal and you're going to be looking at docks and marinas things like that floating marinas um rocks and sea walls and them shad really like hard surfaces to spawn on and when there's thousands and thousands of shad up there there's going to be a lot of big bass around them typically Post-spawn fish to me want an easy meal because they, you know, they've exerted so much energy to be up there spawning all spring. So when there's thousands of shad up there, man, that's like going to the shad buffet. Right. And uh, 
it's an easy meal for them. Um, the other thing that I look for is that bluegill spawn or that brim spawn. Because when them bluegill are up there spawning and making beds and making babies, um, them big females just cruise around on them and, once again, suck up an easy meal. Um, so those are the two big factors that play for me, you know, in that post-spawn funk. Um, the next thing I'm going to be looking for is out in front of that spawning pocket. You know, typically our spawning areas are, are shallow flats and things like that. And um, I'll try to find whatever piece of cover is what I'm going to say on that first initial drop um, from the spawning flat. You know, maybe a foot or two up there out to three or four foot if there's a old stump row or maybe an old bridge embutment or a big lay down tree. Um, any kind of structure that's out there on that first drop. That's why that time of the year flipping docks and fishing docks is so well because that's, you know, that's that first piece of structure that's close to deep water that them fish will set up on. Um, so if you kind of can remember those three things and that post-spawn funk is sure, without a doubt, going to make your life a lot easier. Yeah. Aaron, real quick, before we go on to a, another question, l- let me fire this back at Bill. You know, you talk about the shad spawn, some great tips on where you can find that shad spawn. How often do you find shad spawning and there's no bass around them? And, and there a lot. Do differently. Well, so- find feeding fish that are taking advantage of that shad spawn scenario well the thing you got to remember is regardless of what pattern you're fishing it's no different than when you're flipping trees or docks or cranking rock for whatever reason there's always those areas that are better than others and i mean how many times have you fished 100 points on a lake but only one point's got fish on it you know i mean if we could ever figure out and break that code of what makes this spot better than another we'd be way ahead of the game so it's just basically a situation of trying to run as many areas and trying to get a bite um, you know, listening, I always say that every bite's a piece of the puzzle. And just because every shatter up there spawning does not mean there's going to be bass up there on the uh, points with them. So the whole deal there is just you got to try to figure out as many areas as you can. Um, and typically, if you find an area on the shad spawn that they're on, they're going to be there till the shatter done spawn them. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, Bill, you know, I, I think for me personally, the springtime, the spawn, right, is a very interesting time of year because you have a lot of different fish species coming into the bank. And you get to see behavior, perhaps, if the water's clear enough, of how fish are reacting and doing things. But, you know, that's that's such a limited window. And now since we're kind of talking about uh, post-spawn, I'm curious to hear your thoughts once that, um, you know, bass kind of leave the nest. And in your opinion, kind of what's the difference of, of how the male and the female bass react? Because you, you brought up something in your earlier answer there that, you know, we all need those female bites, right? Because that's the size uh, for us that are that are in the tournament realm. Um, but even for the weekend angler, you know, somebody that's just out here wanting to, to try and catch a, a good quality fish, do you believe are there differences in how the males act versus the females and where they go and, and, and what you're using to target them? Um, yeah, I believe so. I think that that, like I said, I believe that female bass needs to, how do I say this, kind of recuperate faster than maybe the male bass does. So she's going to go right to what I'm what I'm just going to consider those buffets, you know, them easy meals. I'll just use this for an example. Like if you find a really good brim bed and you just put your poles down, put your raptors down, and just sit there and watch that bluegill bed, you'll see them big female bass just kind of cruising in there, you know what I mean? And they're once again, they're just looking for that easy meal. So I think to me, what I always feel is that big female, she sits where she's going to get an easy meal, um, where she's not going to exert a lot of energy um, to make that happen. And the shad spawn and the brim spawn are, to me, the two best things for um, that to happen. Now, with that being said, that, that male bass, to me, his job quite isn't done yet. You know, I mean, he's kind of got to stay up there and guard fry and make sure that, um, 
Big Mama's hatch is going to make it through a year. You know what I mean? So, you know, he's got a job like he's the bulldog. He's got to stay up there and fight off the brim and the, maybe even the other little bass that want to eat the fry. Um, I mean, we spend a tremendous amount of time that time of the year fishing fry garters, you know, so them to me before that mail gets done and he gets to get out there and play around the shad spawn and the brim spawn what's left of it. Um, like I said, his job isn't quite done yet. So to me, that's the kind of the scenarios that I look for, kind of what I think. Um, you know, bass fishermen think they know everything and we really truly don't know anything. You know what I mean? Because um, they prove us wrong all the time. But uh, to me, that's kind of the way I look at it and the way that I feel that um, them big females do before they actually make that move um, offshore, if they ever do. You know, I believe there's always, there's truly a fish that stays shallow its whole life and doesn't even know there's a main lake out there. So those are the fish I'm typically always looking for. Well, it looks, sounds to me like we got this dialed in to your, you know, thought process with the bluegill spawn, the shad spawn. How about lures to target those bass? So when you're, when you're targeting the shad spawn, you know, give us two or three lures that, you know, are, are productive for Bill Lowen in those situations. And when you're targeting those bluegill beds, what are two or three lures that are productive for you in those scenarios? You know, really, there's truly only a handful of baits you need for that shad spawn. You know, everybody that knows me knows I'm a swim jig freak. Um, you know, I, I typically will go with a one of my signature series swim jigs from lure parts online typically in a white or something in that shad color you know i really at that time of the year i like swim bait trailers that imitate shad optimum double diamond is an amazing swim jig trailer to get you that shad profile if i really really want to slow that jig down a lot i'll go to a something that's got flapping legs on it like a like a strike king rage crawl and and you know typically for me it's always in that white pattern that shad pattern you know top waters can be really good um ima makes two top waters to me that are the best top waters in the industry and that's little stick and the uh, grande skimmer and the grande skimmer is probably my actual my favorite top water bait you know it's just a bigger dog walking style bait um, but if you were to take a swim jig and a topwater and run that shad spawn, I don't think you could go wrong. I mean, you could always mix in a crankbait or a spinnerbait or something like that. But if you run a swim jig and a topwater, two baits that allow you to cover a lot of water, um, there's no way you could go wrong with it at all. And then when we start talking about the bluegill spawn, um, once again, I'm going to throw a swim jig. Once again, I'm going to use the same trailers. The only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to change my color of my swim jig to maybe something in a bluegill pattern or black and blue. You know, there's a endless array of bluegill colors. When you can catch a bluegill and put him in your hand, he's got purples and greens and oranges and yellows. <laughs> yeah, right. um, so All you can't truly ever just say <laughs> this exactly. You can't truly say this is the color. So... I always bounce back and forth between bluegill and black and blue. And then, um, you know, another one of my favorite baits is, is a frog. You know, the optimum uh, popping furbit frog to me is the easiest frog you can use to walk the dog with. You know, so I wouldn't wouldn't never count out using a frog, you know, because a lot of times in bluegill are spawning way back under willow trees or way back in places where you just don't want to throw a treble hooked bait or something like that. So for me, it's pretty simple for the shad spawn and the bluegill spawn and, and you know it's you could throw endless things you could throw sinkos or stick worms or um around there finesse worms sure. and things like that but man if i can do, if i can power fish and not have to get a spinning rod out or something like that man i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm gonna power fish if it ain't working but once again i'm gonna do whatever i gotta do to get a bite um but those would be my top choices in trying to figure out how to get a bite around the shad spawn and the bluegill spawn. Awesome. Phenomenal choices. I like that optimum 
frog as well. It's it's got a little bit bigger profile than a lot of other frogs, so it's uh. It it's, does, and like I said, it it walks so well that you can almost walk it right in place. Yep. All right, great stuff. Hey, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna return after a quick message from our partners. We'll continue this post spawn bass discussion with Bill Lowe and Aaron. Hit those power pole buttons down. We'll be back in a moment. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power Pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Power Pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power Pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio, presented in part by Mercury Marine, returns with BASS Elite Series champion Bill Lowen in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. For oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Bill, before the break, discussing, you know, catching female post-ball bass. Let's get into some of this male bass category. You know, everybody needs some limit fillers. We all want to catch five and eight pounders. Doesn't happen all the time, unfortunately. But um, really want to pick your brain on some fry garters. You know, I was recently at a at an event over at Lake Murray. A lot of fry garters over there, and and you could catch a few. Some were tough to catch. I want to get your opinion. Do you feel that, you know, the male bass that, that are guarding fry in this post-spawn seasonal behavior pattern, is that a viable pattern? And how do you like to target a fry garter once you identify them? Yeah, I think it's definitely a viable pattern because, heck, man, let's face it, sometimes there's three and four pound males that are guarding fry. You know what I mean? And, and to me, that's a fish that's going to play. I don't care where you're at in the country typically. That's right. Um, you know, and once again, my bait choices are pretty simple when it comes to that. Um, you know, when I look at fry garters, I want to select a bait that I can keep in front of that fish typically as long as possible. Um, and with that being said, once again, I'm going to have a swim jig rigged up typically in that bluegill pattern because that's what's typically, you know, going to be screwing with the fry. It's typically not going to be a shad or something like that. But there are days when white tends to work well, but I want a swim jig that I can slow way down, um, you know, and typically by when I say slow it way down, I want to go with a quarter ounce jig. I want to go with a big flappy trailer like that. Like I said, like that striking rage crawl. I want to keep it there in front of their face as long as I can. My next choice would be... Um, Probably some type of a, a popper, depending on what kind of cover I'm around. The I'm a finesse popper would be an amazing choice for that in our bluegill color. And once again, a frog. You know, typically those fry garters are going to always be around some kind of grass, tree, some kind of structure where they can hide in the shadows. And because that fry wants to be out in the sun, you know, that fry needs the sun to stay warm and, and survive. And, um, but you're typically not going to see that fry guarding bass sitting out there in the sun so he's going to be hiding back lurking in the shadows keeping an eye on on the kids so if you can get a bait that you can keep in that strike zone for a long time and almost aggravate him in the bite you know those would be some really good choices three really good choices you know the swim jig the popper and the frog and if that doesn't typically work for me then i will go with some type of wacky rig finesse worm you know whether that be a four inch strike king finesse worm or a seven inch finesse worm whatever that may be and i typically will rig that wacky um, with as little weight as possible. You know, I want that bait to fall slow, stay around that fry as long as it possibly can. Um, so for me, those would be my four choices. If um, those aren't working, 
then I'm probably going to go do something else. <laughs> Let me, how long will you stay? I mean, fry guarding, you know, catching fry guarding bass, cat and mouse game to say the least. Well, I, I'll say it's not totally different from catching a spawning fish, right? I mean, they're so yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Yep. Is dialed into and that they're trying to do in life, whether it's spawn or as in this case, we're talking about garden fry. How long will you stay on a, you know, a quality bass that, that you're trying to catch as a fry garter? You know, like you say, three, four pounder. I mean, most places we go, if you can stack the box with three and four pounders, you're probably going to be doing pretty good. So how no, absolutely. Long you hang on a fry garter and how much time will you put into a fish like that? You know, I'm glad you brought that up about the spawning fish. Cause I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, fish these fry garters just like I'm bed fishing. You know, I'm going to put that troll motor down and I'm going to start running the banks. I'm going to start running them the banks with a swim jig or a popper or um, a frog or whatever that is to cover water. Okay. And you're going to catch those fish that you don't even know are regarding fry um, because you've just thrown your bait by the fry and this fish is reacting to it. So I'm going to be cruising along like that, always visually looking for the fry garters or for that ball of fry. Um, it'd be no different than cruising down the bank fishing and looking for spawning bass, okay? So once you see that ball of fry, or maybe you see that fish that's guarding the fry and you put your poles down and you start working on that fish, it's going to be no different than bed fishing. I mean, you know, there's bed fish that you can't catch, and you know that pretty fast because of the way it's reacting, and, and, and fry garters are no different. When you start working on that fish, you can tell if it's running off or if it's even interested. You can pretty much tell pretty quickly if you're going to get that fish to react or not. Um, so I would really, really compare it to bed fishing in that just kind of decide how that fish is reacting to your bait. You know, is its fins moving? Is it changing? changing colors is it you know is it seem like it's an aggressive fish and and like i said it's kind of no different than like you mentioned bed fishing those fish will react and there's a time when you say man there's no way i'm possibly going to be able to catch this fish and i believe fry garters are, are the same way so um man if i don't think she's gonna play or bite i'm not gonna waste a lot of time on her because there's pretty good chance that Somewhere down the line, there's going to be another one. Hey, Bill, you brought up uh, topwater uh, a few different times. Obviously, no secret that it's a huge uh, success in your arsenal and, and for most of us in the springtime. One question that I do have on the three styles, like the frog, the, the chugging or popping style bait, and then kind of the walk the dog style bait. Any bait modifications that you would throw out to Bass Edge Nation that uh, have kind of you you've kind of found that that make a big difference, or you just kind of a straight out of the box kind of guy? You know, I'm I've always kind of been that meat and potatoes guy when it comes to the actual bait itself um unless we start talking about jigs and swim jigs because i'm like anal about that stuff but um <laughs> i always i always like i always like to be that guy that you can catch them on what comes right out of the box you know what i mean because i mean when you start modifying things and doing things you may not be able to get your hands on that exact same thing if you lose it you know what i mean and then we all know that bass fishing is about 100% what's going on in your head and boy when you lose a bait that's been modified or you just can't get another one you're like oh my gosh I'm never going to catch a bass again the rest of my life the one of the modification that I'm going to make to my hard baits my top waters without a doubt is changing the hooks out with Hayabusa treble hooks you know we have the Hayabusa treble hooks that you know are, are your standard black nickel like everybody else in the industry but we also have a treble hook that has an NRB coating on it. And to me, it's the easiest treble hook to penetrate into a fish's mouth. You know, that coating is, is so slick that um, <laughs> it's so easy to get hooked up. So one tip I'm going to give you that I don't care what kind of treble hooks your bait comes with on. Um, typically, the ones that they come with are not good. I mean, you catch fish on them, but day in and day out when the money's on the line, um, if you can get your hands on some 
Hayabusa treble hooks with that NRV coating, I'd put them on everything. I mean, if you wanted to not buy a security system for your house and just put them treble hooks all around your house, you'd never have to worry about any thieves getting in. Oh, my God. That's classic. I love that. Okay, that's the quote of the year right there so far. Nice one, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Security system with treble hooks. All right, real quickly, we know you love shallow water. We know you're not leaving. If you're sniffing fish, you're probably not leaving. Catching, it's okay. If you're sniffing them, you're probably still shallow. But post-spawn, just not seeing the shad spawn. You know, maybe the bluegill beds aren't quite showing up, maybe tween moons, you know, whatever the scenario is. If you had to move offshore, what are you looking for to be successful in that post-spawn scenario? Well, what do we consider an offshore? I mean, is that one cast away, two cast away? I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, in, in this particular interview, I want to know what Bill Lowen considers offshore. Okay, so, yeah, that, so, so here's the deal. If you're, if you're running down the lake, okay? and you see me sitting out there in the middle, please stop because I'm probably broke down or out of gas. <laughs> All right. um, look, I don't have any problem going out there and fishing deep when I know that there's no possible way that I'm going to catch one um, fishing my style. You know what I mean? Um, if we're on a, whatever, a Tennessee River Lake, Kentucky Lake, Pickwick, and you have to be out there, um, I'm going to be out there. But with that being said, I'm going to go back to concentrating on what we talked about. If that shad spawn's not working, that bluegill spawn's not working, I'm going to concentrate on that first cover on that what I'm considering that first drop. You know what I mean? That may be 100 yards from the bank. That may be 10 yards from the bank, you know, and, and whether that be a stump or a drop off or a big lay down tree sitting on a flat or a row of docks that's maybe sitting on a channel swing or something like that. Them are the things that I'm going to look for. Them are the things where I feel when those things aren't going on, that's where those bass gravitate to. And that's just one of them places where they can get out there, they can sit, they can recoup. And like you said, if we're between a moon, if we're between a spawn that's going on, they're just sitting there waiting because they know that the shad are going to come back and spawn, the bluegill are going to come up and spawn. And it's just kind of a cat and mouse game for them until they get recuperated. So to me, I always feel like those fish, whether it be a buck or a female, um, go set up on that first piece of, well, I guess for me, it would be considered offshore cover. Um, right. And I don't care what it is. Like I said, I don't care if it's a rock, a dock, a daggone sunken car, a refrigerator, whatever's in the water closest to that drop out in front of that spawning pocket. That's what I'm going to be looking for. And like I said, that may be 100 yards offshore. That may be 10 yards. But um, whatever that piece of cover is, that's kind of what I'm going to be focusing on. Great stuff. All right, Bill, man. That's uh, very enlightening. Enjoy that post-bond conversation. we got a listener question segment, obviously always brought to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. This episode's question was sent in by Tom Bryan from the St. Louis, Missouri area. Tom asks this, when fishing smaller Midwest rivers with a canoe or kayak, if you are limited to the number of rods you can fit which of course in a canoe or kayak you are um in the summer you've got three rods three lures and a canoe or kayak fish a 10 mile stretch of river what three are you choosing um you know that's kind of pretty good question for me because i grew up um not necessarily kayak canoe fishing but uh wading little streams and little tiny rivers like that fishing for smallmouth um and spotted bass and things like that so i kind of know exactly what he's talking about which is kind of cool so um for me it was always a a spinning rod um you know what i mean because a lot of times you're in little close quarters overhanging trees places that maybe you don't want to be trying to sling a bass bait caster around um so if it was my choice man i'd have three spinning rods with me um you know maybe a seven foot medium heavyish action um you know six eight pound line and and my bait choices once again man you 
y'all know I'm I'm, a, I'm as simple as it gets. I'm gonna have uh, a popping style bait. You know, like I said, that I'm a finesse popper would be amazing. It's a smaller profile popper um, would be perfect for that situation. I really truly like a small finesse buzz bait of some sort. Um, once again, something you can cover a lot of water with, and and on those little rivers and streams like that, that's a bait that a lot of those people that are in canoes and kayaks just typically don't fish with. Um, and then my other choice is going to be something that I could fish on the bottom. Um, typically, once again, small, maybe a three-inch Strike King rodent or some little type of swim bait, just something that I could fish down closer to the bottom in those little current type areas. Um, so for me, it'd be those three choices. Three rods would be three spinning rods three loose spinning rods, you know what I mean? Um, something that you could just uh, throw around in the boat and not necessarily have to worry about destroying it and go have fun, man. I mean, I think so many times us as anglers, we miss that type of fishing, you know, where we're just going and having fun because spend so much time out here on the road and everything's always so seriously that um, when you get a chance to get an opportunity to do something like that, I think us as anglers need to take full advantage of it. Great answer there, Bill. And, you know, being a, a quite familiar with some of the rivers that uh, that Tom is referring to, whether it's the Merrimack, you know, the Gasconade River, the the Burbis, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I would also probably just add maybe just a like a finesse jig, like a jewel finesse jig or something like that as well. But uh, I so agree. I think all of us have, have talked about how we grew up and, and kind of targeting, you know, whatever would bite the end of our line, whether it's a farm pond, a stream. And um, sometimes it, it can be very, very rewarding just putting together, you know, one just small tackle box with limited amounts of tackle and rod and real choices and, and limited mobility. And uh, th- those are some of the best memories of, of my life in the sport of bass fishing. So, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, for me, Tom, we for do- me I, I like the way that Bill talked about the spinning reels because I'm probably going to dump my kayak. <laughs> and i need to make sure i'm not tearing up any bait caster equipment so that was the most important tip there for me because i know i'm getting wet and all my gear is probably gonna get wet (laughs) well that's what i was gonna say kurt if you're getting in a kayak it's probably gonna get flipped over and uh (laughs) man i don't want to have my my high-end stuff out there with me you know what i mean so uh yeah I definitely have my boat gear and my kayak gear for sure. <laughs> That's all good stuff, guys. Well, Bill, certainly appreciate you answering that question for Tom. Tom, we do need one more thing from you, and that is to please log on to BassEdge.com. Click the Claim Your Prize tab. Fill out the information, and we will get a Bass Edge gift sent directly to you. And as always, Bass Edge Nation, keep firing in those questions, man. We've got a lot of great ones we haven't gotten to all of them all the time but we are picking some top-notch questions that y'all are sending in keep sending those through our email support at bassedge.com or leave us the comments on the facebook and instagram media pages well bill it has uh, absolutely been a, a blast catching up with you and and just what a, an education on post-spawn right it's it's a difficult uh, thing to do of catching sometimes post-spawn bass, but certainly I think you broke it down in a way that uh, makes absolute sense and certainly going to put more fish in the boat for all of Bass Edge Nation. Congratulations again on that Elite Series win. Any any closing thoughts or final remarks before we shut uh, this episode down? You know, I just think uh, if, if I had to leave the listeners with anything, it's that, you know, stick to your guns, fish in your comfort zone, um, fish your style. You know what I mean? I think when you do that, you're going to fish, like I said before, um, the best to your abilities and when you try to do things that maybe you're not so good at or get out of your comfort zone 
when things go wrong, you don't have no idea how to get out of them. You know what I mean? When you're fishing in your comfort zone and, and you've probably been in that situation before. So when things go wrong, you kind of know how to get out of them. But man, like I said, if I can leave anything with the listeners is um, do you. And, and typically at the end of the day, you're going to be a lot better off. All right, Bill. Well, thanks again for being on the show. As Aaron mentioned, always bringing the great information for Bass Edge listeners. Best of luck in the remainder of your Elite Series season, man. Bass Edge Nation, y'all stay right here. Aaron and I will highlight some interesting aspects in our closing remarks. We will be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. Be at home with nature with nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings at wildwings.com. Explore art prints and canvas wraps of bass, trout, walleye, muskie, and more by acclaimed artists like Mark Sassino. I primarily paint underwater scenes of game fish and usually in a fishing situation, going after prey or going after a lure or a fly. I get asked sometimes whether I like fishing better or artwork. It would be tough to give either of them up. I can't really think of a good reason to give either up, so I'm going to stick with them. Make your home, office, or cabin show off your passion for angling. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge and sign up for an exclusive offer to Bass Edge listeners of 10% off your next order. Give something special to your loved one and be at home with nature. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge to get 10% off your next order of nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings. Post-spawn fishing, kind of as I alluded to, you know, in there during the episode, I, I think it can be very intimidating, can be difficult at times, right? I mean, uh, the, the fish aren't feeling well. Um, they're just kind of hanging out, trying to regroup. But I thought Bill did a really good job of, of providing some some useful information. Hopefully, that's going to really kind of increase our odds at putting a fish in the boat. Without a doubt. And, and the great information that was really outlying all of the tips and tactics he talked about was simplicity. Very simple. Didn't get it, you know, crazy elaborate on, well, if they're doing this or if they're doing that. It, it's, hey, man, I'm looking for a shad spawn. I'm looking for a bluegill spawn. And I'm looking for somewhere they're hanging out 
in between those two activity levels, right? And uh, based on you know what I feel like is their seasonal behavior pattern, mood of feeling, just just like you were talking about, just a little bit less activity and those types of things, and and how he goes about targeting bass that are in those scenarios. So, um, man, I think uh, he mentioned you know you got to look for that shad spawn early in the day. It's it's gonna happen fairly quick you know you, you got about a two three hour window max and then you know he's going to move in those bluegill beds looking for those as well and then he's going to move into those kind of resting spots and i love the fact <laughs> offshore you know we asked him like what are you doing offshore <laughs> and and he's like well what's offshore and i'm like well what's offshore to bill lowen and and all of a sudden offshore to bill lowen was just off the bank right i mean it's it wasn't out there 100 yards 50 yards on the end of a point yeah, it's, it's it was, maybe where most people run their boat that's offshore to him as far as uh, you know with the trolling motor he, he that, that moving away you know 20 30 feet off of where he normally casts it seems like that was his description of offshore 110 percent. so again just keeping everything super simple and you know i really talked about that shad spawn issue because you'll find that shad spawn and sometimes you just there's no bass around it loved his breakdown of how hey man there's not a fish on every log you know there's not a fish on every every dock and uh you've got to you got to find different areas of those uh that that tactic or that technique that's going on to get into the bass you know it's just part of that process overall man we're all better post-spawn angler right now. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And uh, certainly we want to provide that time versus us continuing to talk about it. Let's get out there on the water and uh, try and get it done. want to thank everyone for tuning in to episode 351. Hard to believe. Uh, next episode will be coming up May 15th. Exciting time. Be sure to stay on all things Bass Edge uh, via the social media, Twitter Facebook, Instagram, certainly BassEdge.com, where uh, you can find all things Bass Edge, from apparel to Jay McNamara's books to Pure Clean to Lucas. All of that stuff can be found right there. But uh, in the meantime, Kurt, best of luck uh, in your coming week. And uh, we look forward to really hooking up with everybody else, pardon the pun, but uh, on episode 352, May 15th. So long, everybody. is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.